So hello and welcome to the Dr. Richard podcast, a show about health, wellbeing, fitness and humanity. I'm Dr. Richard Marks. Today I'm excited to welcome Marilyn Raffi. Marilyn is a PhD level pharmacist with a special interest in the psychology of eating habits. So how are you Marilyn? And tell me three things that make you smile. Hi, I'm, I'm doing great, great. I think the first thing that makes me smile is actually the song of your podcast. Amazing. And uh, it's, it's like so cool. It's like, hi, I'm Dr. Richard and like, I always dance on it. makes me smile and I think that's the first thing the second thing is um, I think other people smiles yes yeah I feel I absorb other people's emotions whether sadness or happiness um, and we often link it to you know empath or hypersensitive people so I really feel it's um, it's almost a moral duty that you have now you don't always have to show that you're happy but always remember the impact you have on others mm-hmm. and it smiles can spread you know yeah so true um and i was thinking actually of this question because you know i i know you ask other guests and every guest has a very interesting answer i think the third one is a bit uh, that i want to mention is a bit controversial yes which is i've noticed i smile when i'm stressed or when i'm uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah when i'm in for example meetings and i feel there's tension and i smile and sometimes I look around, I see that other people do it and even more women. Mm. So um, I just wanted to mention it because... I'm is thinking, it yeah. either just a smile of um, just of habit or is it almost like a mask, you know, yeah. masking something, you know, or is it just like a nervous giggle, you know? Yeah, good question. I think it's a bit of everything. I think it's... It's my personality that, you know, I need to make everyone comfortable. So if mm, I feel mm. there's tension, I smile. Um, yeah, so, and maybe a habit because, you know, the smile is, uh, I think, one of the first things that kids do and they copy uh, their, you know, parents. They smile for their parents. So I think it's something that we copy. Yeah. So in yes. a way, it could be good. Maybe if people smiled to me when I was younger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually kids come smiling or crying to start <laughs> with one or the other. <laughs> yeah, I can guess if I, they come to your clinic. Maybe they arrive crying and then they leave uh, smiling. And we would hope so. <laughs> so yeah. you talked a little bit about the, you know, obviously um, other women. And do you find like being a woman and balancing your career, do you find the difficulties in that? Because sometimes, you know, obviously with women, there's a lot of balancing to be done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of balancing. And I think it all comes, the way to balance it, um, is not to try to do everything, uh, but it's try to work on yourself. On, For example, I worked a lot, a lot on perfectionism for myself. A lot of... some In the past, I used to receive an email from work and I used to think of it for hours. It t- took a lot of time just because I was stressing. Am I answering the right email? And then working on yourself, you kind of start saving time. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of balancing shame and guilt and all of this. Mm, yeah. Mm. And it's about being kind to yourself. You yeah, know. exactly. 
So um, tell us about how you became a pharmacist. What, why did you become a pharmacist and why that career path? Mm. It's a good question. And I think um, when you decide what you want to study, you're like 17, 18, like what do you know about life? I mean, maybe some of your listeners will know a lot about life and they're at that age. But me at that time, I think I didn't know. I think um, in my personality, I was I wanted to be loved, to, be, to please others. I knew that my father valued pharmacy a lot. And I loved, uh, you know, science anyway. So I think I did it just to unconsciously to please or to be the person my parents wanted me to be. Um, yeah, so when you think back, you're like, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's might how, been, yeah. how it happens. Yeah. And what about the PhD? Yeah. How did that come about? And what was your PhD in? Yeah. So what's my PhD in? I think if you even ask now my, uh, I don't know, my, my entourage, they still don't know. I've explained 10 times and they're like, can you say it again? No, it's basically my PhD is on the study of how medication, drugs, affect our genes uh-huh. um, and specifically I studied it in the eye for eye diseases right oh yeah. very interesting yeah. ocular yeah that's so yeah, interesting yeah 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 ophthalmologists uh, yeah. and ocular surgeons as well yeah exactly yeah and that's very interesting obviously because the vaccine yeah that um for the pandemic yeah. obviously that was uh, something that was thought to at least yeah. to RNA. Yeah, exactly. If not DNA. So very current at the yeah. moment as well. Yeah, and I try also to use it because what I've noticed in my PhD, and then I'll answer the other question of how I got there. But what I've noticed in my PhD is that um, the way the your genes change their expression will really depend on the environment. So whether you put medication, whether you, you put different things and change even the light, you know. And, and for me, it was it's a bit positive because when I have people coming to me for emotional eating and they're like, I'm doomed, my genes are not good. I'm like, no, environment can definitely change and there's hope. Mm. So yeah. how much is nature yeah. and how much is nurture? And, yeah. Or is it a combination? Yeah, I mean, the percentage, I think it's a million dollar question, <laughs> but... Um, Definitely a combination. And also, of course, you have things that are definitely nature, very hereditary things. Like diabetes. Yeah. But even diabetes is also nurture. But I'm thinking of very rare genetic diseases that Mm -hmm, people are mm -hmm, born with. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. These, they're more... Thyroidisms as well, you know. And muscular dystrophy and things. Yeah, things that maybe hopefully your listeners don't know about. Um, but then even diabetes, it's um, there's a big proportion. A lot can be diet controlled. Yeah. yeah. What made you become interested in emotional eating? Yeah. So I think it all, when you ask this question to people, like what are you, it all boils down to you, to you and your personal journey. And definitely it was my personal journey. Um, I've counted, I've done 21 diets. Mm. Uh, and I'm 37 years old, so you can imagine. Which was the best? <laughs> Is there one that works? <laughs> the first one. The first one because it's the only one that works. And then afterwards it doesn't work. Um, but yeah, so 21 diets. I, I started before teenage years. And, uh, you know, most of them didn't work. Um, and then I realized that I, at that time I was starting therapy and everything. And one book led to the other. And I found this book called um, Breaking Free from Emotional Eating 
by Janine Roth. Um, and I started reading it and I, it's the first time I realized, yeah, actually the diets don't work. Not because I don't have willpower, not because my body is flawed and want, doesn't want to respond, but because I'm using food as a tool to cope with life. So it started with me for a few years. I started to really introspect every aspect of me. Um, it was during the pandemic, so it's good because you're at home. You, you have the luxury to do it. Um, and then I started my podcast and I realized there's every like I thought it was a niche thing, but I realized everyone can relate to it for, in some shape or form. Maybe 80 to 90 percent of people can relate to emotional eating. Um, I can definitely relate yeah. to that. And I think, um, you know, um, I had being a dentist, we're all so strict on mm. ourselves in terms of sugar. Yeah. And, you know, even more is talked about sugar now. But in reality, I do say to people, you need your blood sugar as well. Yeah. We don't want you yeah. <laughs> fainting and, um, because you're so strict, uh, not eating sugar. But there's better sugars that you can eat, you know, not necessarily refined white sugar, but, you know, there's honey or more natural sugars. And, yeah, sometimes you you need a little bit of sugar. So it's not to absolutely eliminate something, but it, it's about kind of bringing it into more equilibrium, you know. Yeah, um, definitely. And it has been shown that the, if you restrict too much, people will binge. Mm. So definitely, like, great advice that you're giving to your patients to balance. Um, the other thing is that, especially for emotional eating, is the way... I always say this uh, on social media, it's neither good nor bad. Sometimes it's uh, good because you, the emotions you're feeling are so strong, so unbearable, that it's the, if you're on the safest or the healthiest thing to do. But the moment, uh, the only thing you do to soothe your emotion, the only tool you have in life is food, is sugar, then it becomes problematic. Mm. So it's like, yeah, finding this balance, of course, you have everyone, like it's human nature, it's like survival to eat sugar, yeah, to feel yeah. better. Mm. It will release dopamine and serotonin and everything. But then if you can't cope with your daily activities, uh, unless you have the food, then you're like, okay, maybe I can work on it without any judgment, of course. Mm. And yeah. I think you had said before that people are happy to discuss kind of alcohol addiction or smoking addictions but they're less comfortable to discuss and face you yeah. know their eating habits and eating eating addictions you know as well yeah there's there's a lot of taboo on this and yeah i've mentioned it um on social media for example i had someone telling me like um and also trigger alert they were talking about their suicidal ideations mm. very happy about like comfortable talking about it but then when we moved to the emotional eating they didn't want to identify themselves as emotional eaters maybe because it's the word emotional mm. um, i've done some surveys online like with my audience and people prefer the word stress eating mm. But emotional eating is not just due to stress. It can be due to guilt. It can be due to shame. Mm. It can be due to boredom. You know, there's so many nuances. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting as well how um, when it comes to some eating disorders, it's about control. They're mm. controlling the portions. And those are the people who have obviously like eating disorders like anorexia. Those people want to 
be in control and yeah. and food is a way that they control and yeah. portion control and um so there's that aspect of it it's not just the excessive side there's also you know under eating as well yeah definitely and I've had also some some content on anorexia and it definitely comes from control and sometimes it's um it's not about only the looks sometimes it's about getting receiving love mm. through your body because you you were in that time in, in your life where you had a bit of low self-esteem or very low self-esteem parents that were like emotionally unavailable and then you got the love or the attention um through like oh you look thin today and they do it for that reason. Mm. And emotional eating also for your listeners, uh, it could be useful for them. Um, it's a range. It's not a it's um, it's not an eating disorder. It's everything that's outside. It's mm. you have anorexia on one end, the other end you have bulimia and binge eating disorder. Bulimia is when you purge and binge eating is when you don't purge. And then in the middle you have emotional eating. It's not yet a clinical disorder. And for me, I found the issue is that there's no, there's no, there's nothing online for those people. Mm. There's no help. Yeah. If you want. That's kind of within that normal yeah. range, but yeah. still yeah. outside of it as yeah. well. And obviously, you've kind of spoken and researched with many experts on psychological eating. And tell me about that. You know, you've interacted with medical experts as well. And, and what are their views and what have you learned through this? Yeah, it was fascinating. This journey actually was fascinating because I guess maybe you can relate to that when you interview people, you learn so much also. Mm. Um, so in my podcast or in my work, I try to talk about everything apart from food. Of course, sometimes we talk about food, but I think most people know what they should and shouldn't be eating. Mm. They can't do it. So we talk, as you mentioned, the psychology. I've interviewed uh, things, people like Susie Orbach. She's like very, very famous mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. area. And her book was, I think, published in the 80s or 90s. And this was a big revelation for me. Um, it's called Fat is a Feminist Issue. And she describes that sometimes we keep the food for unconscious reasons to protect us. So again, some disclaimer alerts and everything, but some, especially women, we sometimes we keep the food to protect us from sexual uh, aggressions hmm. and things like that. So there's a lot of people that you feel they do a lot of they try, but it's not working. So it's really the, and the hypnotherapy, I know you've had guests also, hypnotherapists um, in your podcast. So these are the things we, we look. And also there's the other aspect, which is the life coach and like mental fitness coach mm. is how to be, you know, how to break my limiting beliefs. Some people have limiting beliefs. I don't deserve to be thin. Mm. Or if I'm thin, people won't love me anymore. You mm. know, all those things. Mm. And this is the things that I've learned. That it's, it's it's so unfortunate that when you want to work on your health or body, you just count the calories and that's it. There's so much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And obviously there's also the side of body acceptance, yeah. which is coming. What do you feel on that? What's your views on kind of, you know, body acceptance being being bigger and, and kind of accepting that or should they still be making effort to you know be more healthy mm, it's a good it's a good question with a lot of controversy of course i think so the basis is that 
everything should come from not judgment and no shaming. Because if you judge and shame someone, they will um, they will binge, for mm. example. It's very common people that have binge eating disorder, like they have the, they call it the the wound, the childhood wound of shame. They were ashamed, like, you know, ashamed, shamed, shamed mm -hmm. when they were little. Mm -hmm. So you make a joke on them, they smile and then they go back home and they binge. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't come from uh, shame and guilt. And I'm sure that many of, of the people that, you know, are, you know, in the, if you want, if you talk about, again, I want, I don't want to offend anyone, but in the medical obese category, I'm sure they, they would see advantages, many of them. I cannot speak for all of them. Um, they would see advantages of losing weight, but it's hard for them. So, yes, I think they would see benefits from, you know, taking care of their physical health. But mental health comes first. Uh, and I think it starts with, um, I think it starts with, you know, working on your like therapy, working on your childhood and everything. Um, so this is for the end of the spectrum. But then also body acceptance is about those people that have a bit of, you know, like, you know, like a bit of fat, but it's healthy, like it's not unhealthy, doesn't cause health diseases. And this, I think in the 90s and 2000s, it was very like, you shouldn't have this. So now people are accepting it more and more, which is which good. Which is a good thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Absolutely yeah. different body types yeah. and more natural yeah. and, and trying to get representation of that. Yeah. Know, and I've discussed actually with few men and they say, I mean, who, whatever you're, you know, you're interested in men or women, but uh, I feel they say men, they like um, women with more fat. Hmm. With and, curves. Yeah. Yeah. And women, they think, no, I need to be thin and thin and thin and thin, you know. Mm, exactly. So it's a misconception. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, people say it's a lot of things to do with maybe uh, things being kind of photoshopped and mm. unrealistic ideals, you know, that, that, that people want. Yeah. And it all boils down, I think, to, for me... 80% is childhood mm. because I feel if you received the love of your parents, mm. if your parents thought you were beautiful, mm. you know, like wh whatever you were, like however you were, I think it would solve a big, big, big issue. And, and what do you think about your childhood? What, what, uh, <laughs> what can did we you swear experience? in your podcast? <laughs> you can. Mother Sleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my childhood, I think... Um, it was yeah. I had I had parents that were emotionally unavailable. Mm. Uh, so in my you know in my direct you know my direct family, my parents were not uh, available like emotionally available. And I'm a very sensitive person. I needed love. I needed reassurance and everything, which I didn't get. Mm. At the same time, um, I lived in a society. So I grew up in Lebanon, where um, your value as a woman is directly linked to your body mm. and your appearance. So there's this pressure to look uh, thin uh, and all the diet culture that like every time you fail a diet, it's because you're a failure and it's not because the diet failed on you. So it, you take those three ingredients, it's like recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I think also for me, like I grew up in a really big family and we had to share food, Yeah, and, you know, um, I actually do enjoy sharing food, but I know some people, they always say you could go either way. You could, once you, 
you know, become an adult, you could go into binge eating or you could go into restrictive eating. And, you know, you have associations with, oh, that food was a treat, but now I'm going to treat myself all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And it, it all comes from the, you know, the mindset of um, scarcity of or abundance. Mm. If you share because there's so much abundance of food I want to share, then I don't think the likelihood that you will have binge eating uh, disorder or it's low. If you share because food is, is so scarce, you know, there's not enough. And a lot of us and uh, have parents that lived wars, you know, there were so many wars and they lived famine. And sometimes we forget that we are the product of several generations. And it comes down to us. And I think many of us, We have this mindset of scarcity, even for jobs, you know, there's not enough jobs for everyone. There's not enough food for everyone. You know, success. If I want to succeed, I need to put someone else down because there's not enough, you know. Mm -hmm. But in reality, yeah, it's I, the opposite. Yeah, of yeah. course, of course. I think also it's interesting, like, in terms of like, as you said, the abundant food and consumerism and kind of processed food, mm. you know, um, People talk about America, you know, where yeah. where they have so much food and so so much abundance, but then they also have great obesity issues. Yeah, this also again, I, I love your questions because they are so like all the topics that. Uh, so there is this this um, if you want, I don't know if it's not a diet. It's called yeah, it's called the intuitive diet where you follow your body, and your body will tell you to stop. So you come from this place of abundance. But also at the same time, discussing with experts and endocrinologists and everything, they say that some foods are that are man-made, they're designed to make us addicted, to release dopamine and serotonin and all the happy hormones and reward hormones in our brain. So these, if you want, they override the whole system, the processed food. So for our listeners, things that are like very high in sugar and very high in Um, processed fat, like, and the combination of fat and sugar together and all the additives, these, they're like, they will generate false hunger, if you want. Mm. And not actually yeah. satisfy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. Another thing, when I was growing up, um, you really had to, we were raised so that you finish everything on the plate before you leave. And then you finish everything, you know, and then that's it. Yeah. That. But other cultures actually they have they like to provide so much food and if someone finishes everything it means they haven't provided enough so there are like cultural differences yeah, in definitely. that way as well um but i think kind of again dissociating that when you get older and thinking okay I don't have to finish every single thing on my plate just because it's there. Yeah, it's called the finish plate, finish your plate club or something. There's a club. <laughs> There's always a club about everything. Um, yeah, definitely. Very cultural. Also in Lebanon, it's like this. You have to finish because um, also it shows that, yeah, you, you appreciate yeah. it. And uh, it's actually one of the intuitive, um, the person that invented the intuitive diet, she said something I heard. I loved it. She said, thinking you're not the boss of me. You know? mm, mm. There's no one that's the boss of me that's going to tell me if I'm hungry or not, if I need to finish. Mm. Um, whether it's the diet culture or someone or even uh, if your listeners, they have kids. Sometimes we forget that we are, as humans, we're born with this capacity to know if we're hungry or not. Mm. Sometimes the parents, they, you know, again, without judgment, we're all trying to do our best here. But just always remember that 
as humans, you have this innate ability to know when you're hungry and when you're full. Yeah, yeah. And I think now, obviously, um, there's kind of fasting has yeah. become more popular. And, and um, actually, you don't have to feel full all the time. Yeah. There was a feeling before that people felt, oh, I'm hungry, now I yeah. have to eat, and I should never feel that feeling but now people are becoming more used to the idea that we would have naturally you know um being in nature and we would have not always had abundant food yeah and i guess we're definitely if you want overfed as a society and uh, intermittent fasting has a lot of advantages like that have been proven like even on brain function and diseases like epilepsy and everything however if uh, like your listeners or someone that you're listening, you suffer from emotional eating or an eating disorder, I think it would be very um, detrimental to start fasting before healing the relationship with food. So if you take a stepwise approach, for step one is to heal your relationship with food. When you Once you feel strong, then you can start to, you know, tr- yeah, add the next layer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how would you recommend for someone to kind of deal with emotional eating yeah so um, i have a lot of resources online i have actually a method that i call the eem method emotional eating with marilyn it's it is the, it is this stepwise approach step one is to make the decision because it's the hardest one it takes i think it takes 10 years and one second you know mm-hmm. so just make the decision and then you decide okay i'm gonna heal my relationship with myself and my childhood a lot of it, um, if we have time to just to discuss about uh, how it comes, like a lot of it comes from childhood, like your pa- maybe your parents, every time you were sad, they would give you food or maybe in your family, anger was not accepted. So every time you were angry, like you would have to repress. And as an adult, let's say you go to work and your manager makes you angry and you know that it's taboo to be angry. So you go and eat um, because they say that, you know, our at work. The work system and family system, they're the same, but with different people. Mm. So it's all those things like trying to like heal your layers of your childhood, mm. uh, resolving self-esteem and self-love and all the self that, you know, we yeah. all talk about and no one knows what it means, but just really understanding that. Um, so I have my podcast with all the resources, but I think the best thing is to do therapy mm-hmm. um, or coach uh, sessions. Mm-hmm. Um I do co-sessions, uh, and, um, but I'm not a therapist. Um, and then when you feel, okay, I'm comfortable with food. I know also people that, do, that have done a lot of diets, they don't know what hunger is. So if you ask them, are you hungry? I don't know. Are you full? I don't know. Do you like Oreos? I don't know. Like I, I realized there are foods I don't care about that I thought I loved. So the next step after the therapy and everything is to, okay, know when I'm hungry, when know when I'm food, and you know, all of those things. And then last step, if I want to really like refine, you know, my eating behaviors, my, um, you know, yeah, my eating behaviors, um, you know, fasting and everything. Along all of this, I think there's exercise that's, uh, you know, really useful because it uh, makes you happier if you want. Yes. Well, I was going to ask you, um, 
what about your own health and wellness yeah. and how do you approach this for yourself, you know, in a mental and physical way? Yeah. We touched on fizz and it's there and we did mention breath work before. Yeah. So tell me, how do you do for yourself? Well, how do you approach health, fitness, wellness? Yeah. So in therapy, we, we describe, if you want, the work as an onion that you peel, you peel layers and I feel health health and wellness there. And I like that you, you used wellness and not happiness because some people think the goal is to be happy. I don't feel so. I think it's a byproduct mm. of the work. But you... Um, you have different layers of the onions, if you want. You have one layer which is working on your childhood. One layer is to um, changing your beliefs about yourself and the world. One layer about exercise. And for exercise, you know, you don't need to do something. I, 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 you know, I grew up, I loved to do ballet, but I wasn't like, I only had a sister. So I wasn't like the man, you know, the very masculine. And I was always intimidate, intimidated by the gym and everything. And I've learned later on in life. So I, I think it could be intimidating to some of your listeners. Um, so now I do this. It's one layer. I love to do yoga. And what I've noticed is that yoga makes me solve problems in my mind. You know, when I do yoga, I re like it's like really body-mind connection. So there's all those layers that you do together. And, you know, because I work in healthcare... And uh, in healthcare, we, we have this idea or this concept of personalized medicine. Mm. For every patient, you have different medication, different treatment. And I think for everyone is different. Mm. Sometimes they're like, when I say to people, I work on emotional eating, they're like, okay, should I eat uh, gluten-free bread? I'm like, you know, it's very, very personal. Mm -hmm. Some people have risk of diabetes. No, like they shouldn't, or I don't want to say should. It's better to avoid carbs maybe some people have something else dairy intolerance you know but i feel the it start all starts with unraveling your childhood uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know um another things which i found was um that i um had read and listened to things about people who believe that you should really feel your feelings and allow yourself to feel sad and sit with your emotion and allow yourself to process it because if you don't then that can build up and later on it comes back much more forcefully and you've never really dealt with it you've just packaged everything up and I always had a problem with that because that was something that we never did you yeah. know as, as children and you know, and then I kind of learned, okay, it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to, it's not a weakness. It's it a strength. It can be a strength, yeah. yeah, which I still find difficult to, but, you know, that's part of, you know, personal growth and learning different ways yeah. to be as an adult rather than what you, it's kind of unlearning. Yeah, definitely. And what Brene Brown says is that we're emotional beings, mm. you know, we cannot avoid it. And in a way, it could be like a sign, okay, you know, like an alarm. I'm all about feeling your feelings. <laughs> yeah. I think that's also the French Lebanese yeah, side. Maybe that's <laughs> the British side is no feeling. <laughs> but you know what? When I grew up, like I, I always say this: we at school, they, they never they teach you how to calculate the volume of a cube or something. They never teach you about emotions. No. And you're like, how are you feeling? And you're like, okay. In my language of feelings, I have okay, not okay. 
um, stressed, and that's mm. it. Um, so what I always recommend to people is, every, especially, for example, for emotional eating, which is a tool to know yourself better. It's not something that you have to hate. Okay, I'm, I eat emotionally. No, I can use it. So I'm going to eat and I'm not hungry. What do I do? You can Google the wheel of emotions. You will have a wheel. Honestly, it's like 60 or 70 words of possible emotions you could feel. You could feel ashamed. You could feel disgusted. You know, all the um, feeling uh, were not worthy enough and all of this. And when you know what you're feeling and find a solution, because let's say I feel ashamed because I said stupid, uh, something stupid at work, which I always do, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the solution is different that if I feel, I don't know, um, disappointed that someone didn't call, didn't call me back. And definitely the solution is not to eat for both of them. Mm. Yeah. And I think as well, like, um, you know, um, people always think, oh, we're making the right choices. You want to make the right choices. But sometimes you might make the wrong choices. And that's okay because you're human, yeah. you know, and forgiving yourself and allowing yourself to, you know, the leeway to kind of learn from the lessons. I think as long as you take it or something on board and try and learn from it and progress, then then that's a good yeah. thing, you know. I used to be very angry at myself at the beginning of my emotional eating journey. Like sometimes I was like, I would cave into emotional eating and I was like, ah. Oh. And then I realized, yes, it's a journey. And every step made me learn something. And I always try to say this to people, be patient with yourself. It's not one day to the other. Mm. And then maybe after a few months, you're going to look back and say, oh, wow, in this situation, I reacted completely different than like previous me. Yeah. And that's growth. Yeah. You know, and um, we talked a little bit about breath work. So what do you think about that? How has that helped you? You know, um, I think, yeah, it's something that I that I use like now just to stay to the present. I think what happens is that you kind of trick. I mean, I, again, I'm not an expert, but I've, I've been, if you want, a client of breathwork practitioners. Um, you calm your, um, you trick your brain that to feel that it's calm because when you have, to, you know, the fight or flight. Yes, the you, adrenaline. Yeah, you breathe very quickly. Uh, whereas when you're calm, so it's like tricking your brain, also staying in the present. So it's something I tried to do. I remember I was skiing and I, like, I was so afraid of heights and I was like, you know, the, the ski lift stopped and I was in panic mode and I was trying to do this breath work and it was not working, but it was working. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's something to use. Some people can cringe on it, you know, because it's so used on social media, you know. Mm -hmm. But for me, definitely, it's uh, it's been useful. Yeah. And fitness? Yeah, definitely. Fitness. I mean, again, sometimes I I don't want to over talk about it because it could put pressure on others. But definitely I do I do gym, I do yoga, I, I do Pilates, I do everything. You know, I just look in my gym at the app, what's available today, I'll just do it. And it's finding the right thing for you. Yeah. It's like you said, everything being personal. Yeah. Exactly. And not just counting the calories. Before I used to go to count the calories, I'm not burning. Uh, I'm not going to burn enough, so I might not go. But actually, if you go for to change your mindset, then it will also decrease emotional eating. You know, it will change everything. Because emotional eating, I always say it is, if you think of your level of well-being from now, let's say from zero to ten, how is it for you now? How would you rate it? Um, 
eight. Yeah, eight is just good. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> when it drops to four, around four, three, four, this is when you're going to go and eat emotionally. So exercise helps because it will raise your level of well-being. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of us subject ourselves to a lot of stress and pressure. Yeah. So it's not surprising that we're reaching for something like food. Yeah, definitely. You know, to comfort yeah. or yeah. solve uh, an issue. And it's a way of finding something else, that other things yeah. that can help. Yeah, and that's what I say to people, like, to start off, maybe have a list on your phone of things I can do instead of eating. Of course, that don't take, like, uh, 30 minutes, because eating takes five minutes so quick, it's so cheap, it's so easy, so available. So if you want to replace this habit by something else, find some, you know, something, maybe on your phone, put a list of five things you could do next time. Uh, breath work, if you like, or dance. I love to do yoga. You can do yoga for 10 minutes. But I know that this can make people cringe. I, some people like to draw their emotions or read mm. a book. So yeah. things like that. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and a, even those, I've seen those adult coloring books yeah. that became so popular, you know. Yeah. What I wanted to ask you, what are your plans for the future? Oh, <laughs> interesting. Uh, to change the world. <laughs> <laughs> good, that's good. <laughs> hey, for the very near near future. No, I'm joking. So my plans, I have um, um, a secret project. That's how they say it. You know, I have mm. a secret project. No, I'm, I'm, wor yeah. <laughs> I'm working on a tool. It's going to be available in a few weeks, uh, maybe months. A tool, a practical tool that you can, you know, have physical tool uh, to work on your emotional eating and work on your uh, you know uh, self-awareness very ta tailored to emotional eating because I feel there's not a lot of resources so watch this space it's coming very soon wow that's brilliant <laughs> thank you. well thank you so much for joining me Marilyn um, I think it's so fascinating this journey um, from obviously becoming a pharmacist and PhD and uh, education into this um, emotional eating which is a subject that is not talked about enough and we're really excited to see what things you do in the future so thank you so much and um, all of Marin's details and links will be in the show notes and thank you for listening if you like today's show please rate and review wherever you get your podcast it was presented by me Dr Richard Marks for more about me I'm on at Dr. Underscore Richard Double Underscore, or visit my website www.drrichardlondon.com. This is a Pod People production, and the music is by Delhi Music, and we will see you next time. <laughs>